0: If you don't manage your real estate investments properly, especially in the transition of selling one and buying another, you could pay an extra 50% in taxes. If you're not careful, that's right doing things wrong at this stage can cost you huge. Hey guys, today we're going to talk about the ins and outs of 1031 exchanges, which if you don't know is one of the most amazing benefits of real estate investing that we have today, but also has very big hurdles for you to clear that must be followed to a T. But the upside is if you do follow the 1031 guidelines to the letter of the IRS, you have the ability to defer all taxable gains of a property sale and then can transition into a bigger, better, beautiful, and more expensive exchange property. That's right. Completely tax free. Also as a bonus, at the end of this video, we're going to talk about a strategy to use a 1031 to transition into investing in a fund model, which is an amazing strategy. If you're moving out of a property and want to move into something where someone else is managing the day to day, and where you as the investor can work with a highly trained set of professionals all while maintaining a huge amount of tax strategy and tax advantages. For those that don't know me, my name is Nick D'Angelo with Saint Investment Group. We currently have over 150 million in real estate assets under management, and we are currently raising an additional $100 million more. As a reminder, always check with your professionals that know your financial situation before making any massive financial decisions. All right, let's jump into it. If you are considering a 1031 exchange for the amazing tax benefits that it can offer, or you're just curious of what a 1031 is, here are some of the basics that you need to know. All right. So first off, What is a 1031 exchange? Let's start at the bottom. Broadly stated in the simplest terms, a 1031 exchange AKA a like kind exchange is a swap from one property to another property. You are selling one property and using the proceeds from that sale to then purchase the second property. Now, most swaps in real estate are taxable as sales. However, if you stick to the 1031 guidelines outlined by the IRS, to the T, then you should have either no tax whatsoever or a much reduced tax due at the time of the exchange. In effect, you can essentially change from one investment to the other through the eyes of the IRS as long as it is a like-kind investment as defined by the IRS. And you can do this in a tax-deferred setting. How cool is that? Additionally, there are no limits to how many times you can do a 1031 as long as you stick to the IRS guidelines for 1031 exchanges. Now let's dive in one layer deeper with the next question, which is how do you qualify your property for a 1031 exchange? The first thing to note is, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but it must be a like kind exchange. Now, what does this phrase mean? Because it can be kind of vague. Let me start with what it does not mean. Most people assume that like kind means something like multifamily to multifamily, or strip mall to strip mall or office building to office building. It actually does not mean that. The IRS has moved forward with a less restrictive definition of what like kind means in this case. So what like kind actually means in this case is investment real estate for investment real estate. So you can actually sell your strip mall and you say, Hey, I don't like how this is performing. And 1031, that into a class a office building that you like better that you think is better suited for your portfolio. And then maybe a few years later, that class a office building is something that you want to get rid of. And it's not a good fit for that time. You can then sell, that class A office building and buy a class B apartment complex somewhere else and all those funds have transferred multiple times Tax deferred as long as you stuck to the IRS guidelines and you have created immense value from this exchange process multiple times. Now, additionally, and I don't have personal experience with this because we don't operate in this space, but I'm actually told that you can do the same thing using 1031 guidelines for businesses as well. But I'll tell you what, I'll make you guys a deal. If you are interested in the details of how to use a 1031 exchange on how to buy and sell businesses, leave a comment below. And if we get enough interest, we will make an entire video on how to use the 1031 process to buy and sell businesses. All right, back to 1031s in real estate. Another important note on this is that both properties must be located within the United States in order to qualify for a proper swap using the 1031 guidelines. So just like everything in real estate, Location matters. In addition to location, let's jump into some of the hard and fast rules that surround the 1031 exchange process. First are timeframes. Timeframes in 1031s are extremely important and there are several that you must be aware of in order to be compliant. The first timeframe that is absolutely crucial is the 45 day rule. This 45 day rule relates to designating the replacement property. So when you own a property and wish to sell it and you sell that it must be replaced per the 1031 guidelines, that replacement property, AKA the property that you buy after your sale, must be identified within a 45-day window of the closing of the first property. So the day you sell the first property, you have 45 days up to three properties that you may purchase as your replacement property. Now, depending on how you organize this, you don't have to close all three. You can close one or two, or you can close all three, but you can identify up to three and you must close on one of those in order to qualify for that new property being your 1031 valid purchase. Now let's push a quick pause on the process to teach you guys some insider industry jargon that will be extremely helpful and will make you seem very professional when you're working through your own 1031. For the case I just described, AKA selling one property and buying one property, there are terms already associated with this process because it can be so complicated and easy to jumble when you're explaining it to your accommodator or other people involved in the transaction or escrow, et cetera. So terms have evolved to identify these properties. The terms used in the industry are downleg and up leg. The down leg property is the property that is being sold. It is the first property that you already own and then you sell. That is the down leg property. And on the other side of the transaction is the up leg property. That's the property that you are purchasing with the proceeds of your down leg. So down leg comes first, and then you use that money and you purchase the up leg. So in this case, when we talk about the 45 day rule for identifying property, you are identifying three potentials for your up leg. These terms are very important. So I wanted to just take a minute and explain these in detail for you guys throughout the remainder of this video, I'm going to use the terms down leg and up leg regularly so that, you know, very clearly which property I'm referring to. And also to get you guys used to the jargon of real estate in 1031 exchanges, let's jump back into the process. So you have your downleg, the property that is about to sell. Once you sell your property because you're in a 1031 exchange, the proceeds of that sale don't just go into your pocket. The proceeds of that down leg sale go to an intermediary between the down leg and the up leg. Somebody right in the middle, a third party accommodator. This accommodator in the middle receives the proceeds of the down leg sale and manages those monies until the time of purchase of the up leg property. At which point when you've identified the up leg appropriately, then you use those funds in escrow from the accommodator and then purchase that up leg. Now, who are the accommodators? Do they work for the government? Do they work for the IRS? Who are they? Well, the answer is actually much better than either of those. Accommodators are typically law firms, or escrow offices that manage this process full-time because it's such a specialty and important and high risk. If you do it incorrectly operation that they put it together and they focus on it full-time. And if you're asking yourself, why an attorney's office or an escrow office, it's because the compliance on this is very important. And those fields already understand high compliance situations and real estate escrow situations where there's transfers of properties, et cetera. So it's kind of a natural fit for those types of vendors. Now the real estate industry is huge. So the best accommodators, well, that can kind of change pretty often. But I'll tell you what, if you are in this situation and you need a recommendation for who the best accommodators are, reach out to me personally and I will give you an updated list of the best accommodators that we use at that time. Because when they don't operate well, we drop them off of our preferred vendor list. And when they do great, we bump them up to the freaking top. We seem to be constantly in exchanges with all the buying and selling we do. So why use an accommodator at all? Why do you need an accommodator and what does that have to do with anything? Well, the first is that the IRS says so, so you need to tow the freaking line and play by their rules, otherwise you're gonna end up with a fat tax bill. But the real reason behind that is actually a smart reason on their part, because you can't just get the proceeds of the sale and then tell the IRS, hey, I promise, like I totally, totally followed all the rules. Trust me, even though I'm extremely biased as the seller of the property, right? You can't do that. So you need a third party that has a lot to lose and that will make sure compliance is on track. The accommodator will track all of the details. They will check all the boxes and they are your friend that makes sure that you are compliant and can prove it to the IRS if God forbid an audit comes. So let's jump back into timeframes a little bit. As we mentioned, there's a 45 day timeframe that you must identify three properties, meaning you are putting all of your 1031 eggs into three baskets. So one of those freaking baskets needs to work out. So choose accordingly and make sure that the identified properties you're doing have a high likelihood to close. So you don't get stuck in a position where you just have a tax bill because none of the properties went through. Let's jump into the second time frame rule that the 1031 exchange uses as a hard and fast concrete deadline. And that is the 180-day rule. And the simple definition of that rule is that from the date of closing your down leg you have 180 days to close your up leg. Also as a reminder, this is a must. So if the down leg sale happens on day one, then you must close, on or before day 180 for your up leg. In practice, what this means is that you must manage your time effectively throughout that 180 days. While that might sound like a lot, Hey, I got six months, I got half a freaking year to get this whole thing done. No, 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 no. It goes extremely quickly. So you need to be miles ahead of this curve. Trust me, when people miss this, it could cost six, seven, sometimes even eight figures for the big players. So you cannot mess this up. You can't afford to. It's a dead stop from that point. So Nick, what are the pros do to make sure that this process goes as smooth as possible? What's the expert tip here? I'm glad you asked. Here's something that we've done in the past that has been tremendously successful. And while it might be slightly annoying for the buyer of your down leg, it allows you as the seller and you as the 1031 exchange buyer to manage your time frames extremely efficiently. So here it is. When you are selling your down leg, include in the terms of that purchase and sale agreement that the seller, AKA you, has the ability to extend escrow for X amount of 30 day periods. We typically pursue about four 30 day periods, which means we can extend escrow by four months. So what does that mean? Let's say this down leg was supposed to close in 30 days. You can extend that by an additional four months. If you include that in your purchase and sale agreement and you leave the sole discretion to you, the seller. So here's what you do. You remove all contingencies in your down leg sale and you, as the seller have those extensions during this period of time, you are on a hunt for what your up leg property is while you're already in escrow of your down leg, you pre-search for your up leg property, that new buy that you must make per the 1031 guidelines of the IRS you search for that while you're already in escrow and get way out ahead of it then you tie your first choice up leg property into escrow before the down leg closes so what does that mean that means you control both deals so the path between the deals the bridge between the deals is much smoother you don't have to make bets on three random properties because it's already in escrow over here and then as soon as this is an escrow and you have some certainty of closure on your up leg, then you can pretty much close your down leg as soon as possible. But if this one gets stalled out at all, but guess what? You have multiple 30 day extensions from there. And the second you close that, you have an additional 180 days to close your up leg. So let's say you're an escrow on the down leg and it's six 30 day extensions, AKA six months worth of extensions. Then from that closure date, you have an additional six months to close your up leg. Now, this is complicated to manage both, but if you do it properly, you have way more than enough time to get your 1031 done. And it's what we see many pros do. And it's what we pursue in every single 1031 exchange that we do today. Also worth noting, I'm going to make a point here. Have you ever had to get something done, but you're on an insane time frame? you're on an insane clock. That's just ticking really loudly in the background and it's just causing you stress and you're not thinking clearly and you're just having to rush into something that may or may not be the best fit. Yeah. Now imagine that's a seven-figure problem in addition to that time frame, okay? You don't make your best investment decisions and you don't find the best deals when you're aggressively on a time clock. To find the best deals, you must have time in the market. You must be able to survey the market, see what's available, and pick from a whole heap of opportunities because then you're gonna find that needle in a haystack of the best freaking upleg, the best freaking purchase deal that you can. So while managing your timeframe is important for the 1031 exchange for the IRS, it's equally as important for you as the investor to make sure you have the time to be the best acquisition person that you can be for the portfolio. Okay. One final note on timeframes, the 45 day window and the 180 day window, those run concurrently. Okay. So if you close on day one, then by day 45, you must close on your properties. And by day 180, you must close the upleg property and both timelines start on day one. So if you identify your properties on day 45, then that means you only have 135 days to close the purchase of your up leg. So while the 45 day and the 180 day rules are the most commonly known rules of 1031 exchanges, let's talk about something that's a little more complicated and a little less common, but can be very valuable if you know how to use it within the 1031 exchange ruling. Let's talk for a second about reverse exchanges. That's right. It's also possible that instead of selling your down leg and then buying your up leg, you can actually reverse the process now while the 45 day and the 180 day rulings still are in effect for this you guys have an understanding of those so we're going to go into more detail about how this swap occurs and the pros and cons of it so just like the 45 day and 180 day rule are in effect you also must have an accommodator to make sure that the reverse exchange is done properly now let me make a note from experience and tell you guys most 1031 accommodators do not understand reverse exchanges. What does that mean? That means they can screw it up. We've had people screw it up in the past and we pulled it off at the last second by putting a lot of different people on it and a lot of really smart minds to make sure it was on track. But somebody made a potential seven figure error that would have ended everybody in a big lawsuit. Everybody would have lost. It would have been, a nightmare. So choose the correct accommodator, make sure they follow the rulings to a T and that they are the best operators in the space because you're here to save money, but you're here to save money correctly and do it correctly. So pay them the money so that you can save the bigger chunk of money. Now let's talk about the advantages of doing a reverse exchange. Now let's say you're not just doing one 1031 exchange where you sell a down leg and you buy the up leg. Now reverse exchanges are most often used when you're trying to daisy chain transactions. That means sell one, buy another, sell another, buy another. Well, if you do this properly, you can move a huge chunk of your portfolio around. Let's say you have a huge real estate portfolio. You might want to position 40% of that portfolio out of a product type and get into something else. Now, while maybe you're some mastermind of escrows and market conditions and all that, typically you gotta buy and sell one at a time. So you might have multiple escrows and 1031 exchanges happening simultaneously. That's where reverse exchanges come into play. Over the last several years, we've probably bought and sold maybe 40 to 50 million in real estate to reposition our asset management portfolio to make sure that we are well positioned for the new world post COVID. So that meant 1031 after 1031 after 1031 after 1031 over and over. So we have this process down and we really know this well in house of what our systems are to make sure we achieve this. But here's a drawback to reverse exchanges as well. Now, when you sell your down leg, guess what happens to that money? It goes to the intermediary, AKA the accommodator, and you use the same funds to then purchase your up leg. So you're using the same money to buy the new property. That's fine. If you structure it well, you typically don't have to come up with a lot of money to get from here to here, but a reverse 1031 is the opposite. So what does that mean? That means when you buy your up leg first, you have to buy all cash. You got to come up with that money upfront conceptually, you must come up with that money first, and then you can sell that property and replenish the cash that you put out for the purchase. But you don't have the benefit of selling your down leg first and using that money for the up leg. If you start with the up leg, you got to use money out of pocket to purchase initially. Now I can say this next piece out of experience in the market. Most people don't have the cash to complete a reverse 1031 exchange. It's typically a small group that could pull this off. Now, because we were trading so many different properties at a time and because we were well positioned cash wise, we did pull these off because it was within our strategy to do so. But just keep in mind that that's the number one thing I want you to learn strategically is in a reverse 1031 exchange, you got to have a lot of cash and that's absolutely mandatory to pull it off. Those are the basics of the 1031 exchange. Let's jump into the bigger level strategies and the bonus section of this video, which is how to use the 1031 exchange to move into things like REITs or DSTs or up etc. et cetera. How to use 1031 exchanges to get into investment vehicles and funds where it's very low management for you, the investor. This next part, I can't emphasize anymore that you will need a competent team to pull this off. And you must maintain compliance to an insane degree because this is where it starts to get a little more difficult. So you can exchange a property on your down leg for a REIT on your up leg, but it must go through a specific process. You do this process by selling your down leg. And instead of buying the property outright, AKA your upleg that you are going to have to manage and asset manage and strategically figure out and make sure leasing's handled and make sure property management's handled and make sure maintenance is handled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of selling your down leg and moving to an upleg where you own, you sell your downleg, you purchase shares of a structure called a Delaware Statutory Trust or a DST. And once you own these shares in the DST, they then can convert either through the operating partnership agreement or through a an umbrella partnership, AKA an upREIT, then they'll convert into the REIT itself through that process. So if your goal is to end up in a fund and or a REIT, this DSD process is amazingly valuable, offers you a hands-off vehicle with how to invest in real estate on a large scale with very big professionals that do an amazing job but you don't have to do the work. You can sit back as the fully passive investor who will likely have access to bigger deals, better deals, better yields, et cetera let them do their job for you. So while this is a little bit more work on the front side in the 1031 exchange process, long-term, this is actually tremendous value for you as an investor. If you're looking to be passive and most importantly for the topic of this video, which is deferring your taxes legally and strategically, you can achieve this through the DST process because you're investing into shares of a partnership. However, make sure your accounting team and your compliance team are on track with this process and they're knowledgeable. Now, if you're at this point and you're thinking through the DST process of how to transition out of properties and into a fund or read scenario. Now, the biggest question at this stage is what fund is best, what fund model is best and what opportunities are best to invest in passively. Well, we have an amazing video on an income fund masterclass that is completely free. So check out the link here to the income fund video, where you will learn everything and anything you need to know about income funds in the future. I'll see you guys in that other video. And, stay hungry.